Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg and Life. Today we are going to look at how spiritual communion works. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm your host and I'm pumped to have with me again, Chelsea Odner. Hey everybody, so glad to be here. Yeah, we get to finish, complete our saga, our rituals saga today before we jump right into epic. that. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't be afraid to like and subscribe. That's how this channel gets the word out. It's your confidence in us. Please, if you like it, show it. Okay, so we're following up from last week's show. We asked the question, does baptism matter? And we're going to continue to look at the significance of religious rituals in today's episode, How Spiritual Communion Works. We've got Good Friday and Easter coming up, and these four Gospels describe disciples having a final meal with Jesus before the crucifixion. And you get a, three different depictions in those Gospels say that Jesus took wine and bread. Maybe you've heard this story. Blessed them, told the disciples, drink the wine and, and drink it as my own blood, and then eat the bread as my flesh. Yeah, Very fascinating, yeah. strange thing to say. I, I feel like I've never said that to anyone. You know? <laughs> yeah. So then... Very intimate, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> so but then Jesus gives this final command, do this in remembrance of me. And this is where we get this, the birth of a ritual that yeah. has gotten pretty big. <laughs> I mean, the... Holy Communion or everything that all the different names people have for it, this is a staple part of Christian practice uh, around the entire world. Um, yeah, and it does go by many different names. I feel like I'm used to calling it Holy Supper, but that's really not how it's most commonly called. I feel like people probably refer to it more often as Communion um, or the Eucharist. I've also heard the Mystical Supper or the Secret Supper. It's funny and, yeah. um, because... Yeah, I, I grew up with it being called Holy Supper. So to me, that just sounds like a very um, nondescript, regular name. And these other ones, I'm like, what? What's that? But I think <laughs> I Holy Supper would sound a little weird to most people. Okay. Right. Holy Supper's like, it just sounds like a Sunday dinner, you know? Yeah, like, it's, just, nice. <laughs> it's a Holy Supper. <laughs> but it's, I like, maybe I'm going to take up, yeah, the mystical supper, the secret supper. Yeah. yeah so, but that, it, with Jesus asking us to drink his blood as wine and eat his flesh as bread. Is that him just, you know, drawing on metaphor? This guy was known for parables and stuff. Uh, but, or does wine and bread actually contain something divine? I mean, like for centuries, people have really, you know, really held this idea of like, this is so sacred when you're eating this bread and drinking this wine, you are imbibing the divine, you know? And so, but we have to like, well, how does that square with, you know, is it this wine or that wine or this bread or that bread? Um, and, uh, and so how does this ritual of eating and drinking actually constitute a covenant with God that is like <laughs> making this really deep connection? And, Interestingly, you know, I love that in the Bible, you even have, uh, you know, stories of people subverting this question of like, well, what is the sacred bread? Is it, uh, is it this or that? But then even super early on in Genesis, uh, there's this ceremony involving bread and wine that, you know, far predates, uh, 
Jesus, and it's this story of Melchizedek. Um, and so, again, just like we said with baptism, it's everywhere. It seems like there's this bread and wine eating and drinking together that seems to be have like really ancient and far-reaching origins. And that's a great point you made. Why, why, how does this eating and drinking, why is that the thing that forms a covenant with God? It's pretty mundane stuff. You do it three times a day. What, we do it a lot, right? It doesn't always feel so special. It just feels kind of like, all right, I've got to eat again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it was skydiving, okay, <laughs> like I get that's it. special. That's... Yeah. <laughs> so Swedenborg learned the reason that something this mundane can be this correspondentially important is because of this divine language that permeates the entire Bible, the correspondences that link the spiritual and physical world. That is what ties it all together. Correspondences are what make Holy Supper holy. We put the holy and Holy Supper. Yes, if that's what you call it. <laughs> yeah. This is True Christianity 698 and 700. Without knowing about the correspondences of physical things with spiritual things, no one can know the functions and benefits of the Holy Supper. The spiritual meaning alone reveals the true function and benefit of the Holy Supper. Yeah, so baptism, like we explored last week, symbolizes the beginning of a relationship with, with the one God. And we wondered about how can this, if baptism, you know, maybe all you need is baptism, you know, but clearly there were these two staple um, things, the initiation and the renewal. And so Holy Supper is really uh, a picture of, it reflects our growing partnership with the Lord. And, and so when you understand the spiritual meaning, you can experience that holiness, that sacredness to directly and and then we don't just call it holy because someone told you to, you really get why it is this sort of sacred uh, ritual. And so in baptism, you know, uh, this, you just have the outer elements that just make up the ritual and same goes for Holy Supper. But when you bring that inner intention, then you start to get a sense of that inner holiness that's at play. And and then you really get to engage with the ritual from the inside out and have that intention. And that's really what can make it so powerful. Yeah, the power of getting to the point that you mentioned where you don't feel like it's holy because somebody told you that it is. You can feel it. You can feel that this is bringing that inner into the outer. So to equip you all to get to that stage, here's the correspondences in the Holy Supper. We have the bread which is the Lord calls his flesh. What does it symbolize? The divine goodness that comes from divine love and all the goodness of goodwill. So everything good. Yeah, and then the wine, which is the Lord says is my blood, is a symbol of divine truth that comes from divine wisdom. And so all the truth related to faith. So you got all the good in front of you, all the truth in front of you. And what do you do? You eat them. You take them in. <laughs> Eating and drinking is making them our own, i.e. a part of our life and who we are. This is why that it's eating and not skydiving. Because when you skydive, <laughs> you don't make 
the the at stratosphere <laughs> part of your body. It doesn't become you. Yeah, and so Swedenborg digs into this of how sort of all-encompassing, again, the Holy Supper can be and this symbolism that's at play there in this quote from True Christianity 705, where he writes, since all things that are spiritual and heavenly relate exclusively to goodness and truth, it follows that flesh means good action that relates to goodwill and blood means truth that relates to faith. On the highest level, these words mean the divine goodness of the Lord's love and the divine truth of the Lord's wisdom. So yeah, it's just like when you eat food that really becomes part of your body. We, the ritual of the Holy Supper is a picture of how we can actually take in love and wisdom from the Lord and that strengthens us and is a continual part of our growth. Um, because spiritual nourishment is a real thing. We are nourishing our spiritual body. Like that's one of the amazing things that Swedenborg talks about is that spiritual nourishment isn't just like, I don't know, it's you're thinking about something spiritual. It's really this idea that you have a spiritual body and it needs things to live. And that spiritual nourishment is love and wisdom. Yeah, and literally. I, I totally get what you're saying. That, oh, yeah, that was nourishing, but it doesn't, not in the same way that calories are nourishing, where you know you need a certain amount of them, and they're very real processes will break down if you don't have them. There's an equivalent. There is a spiritual equivalent to that. So Swedenborg talks about it in True Christianity. Physical nourishment affects the body. Spiritual nourishment affects the soul. For instance, Jehovah the Lord says in Moses, Humankind does not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of Jehovah. And you can kind of think, oh yeah, well we actually do live by bread, but it's nice to listen to what God is saying, but no, your spirit needs it. Now since the body dies and the soul lives on after death, it follows that spiritual nourishment exists to serve our eternal well-being. Surely everyone can see then that these two types of nourishment should not in any way be confused with each other. If we do confuse the two, the ideas we form about the Lord's flesh and blood and the sacramental bread and wine will inevitably be earthly, sensory, and even materialistic, bodily, and carnal. And these types of ideas suffocate any appropriately spiritual idea we might have of this most holy sacrament. Wow. I mean, that's just, I feel like that just really says it of like getting a sense of the, how to hold what's going on in in the holy supper by eating that to realize you're doing something physically but that's to be a container of this real thing that's happening spiritually which is receiving love and wisdom and even swedenborg experienced being given spiritual nourishment and this was represented by bread in dreams that he had early on in his spiritual awakening you know i don't nice. think we maybe sometimes can get that sort of an experience but it's interesting that he had this sort of acute sense of it. And this is from um, his Journal of Dreams and paragraph number 251. He writes, A number of times fine bread has been given me and other things. May God grant that it is, as I believe it to be, the spiritual bread. So it's such an interesting thing to contemplate. Yeah, well, even there, even he's probably talking about the bread that's given to him that's happening within a dream or a spiritual experience. But even there, he's saying, I see this object in front of me. I, I hope that it's the, you know, the bread of life. 
So there's yeah. always this kind of pull towards what's inner wherever we are. And I do, I do think, yeah, that that's like, we can get better and better at being able to tell what that is. The Lord's presence. So we just left Swedenborg talking about being given this bread in his dreams and experiences and hoping that that's the, the bread of life. We're talking about Jesus giving out bread and wine to the disciples and, and giving them the information about the spiritual meaning of it. The, this is what God does. The Lord wants to give us everything that's good and particularly wants to fill us up with spiritual nourishment, with love and wisdom. But the correspondence is real. It, it goes deep. Just like you can't say, wow, I, I really like this bread. I'm going to eat 5,000 pounds of it right now so that I'm set for life. We can't take it in all at once. This is from Yeah, yeah, you get a stomachache anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, when we say, oh, you get a stomachache, spiritually, there's some equivalent that if God moved too fast on our yeah. spiritual development, we just, it wouldn't be good for us. So this is why. <laughs> spiritual indigestion. Yeah. That's, it's, it's uh, you know, what, spiritual Pepto-Bismol or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. Moved as the Lord is by his divine love, he would prefer to give us all these gifts at once. Hmm. Instead, we are given them in accordance with our own receptivity. However receptive we are, that is how far the process of redemption takes us. And that's, it's nice to know that he would give us more if we were one of those, you know, competitive eaters or something. But, but for most of us, it's a, it's a process. Yeah, it makes me think of, I don't know, I'm just getting that image right now. Of, you know, when you're, how attentive and longing a parent is to like feed a little child you know, but you have to sort of do all these different kinds of tricks to get them to take the food and, you know, make it an airplane or whatever. And I feel like to think of the Lord just wanting to feed us, but of course we can have resistance, even though it's like, no, you need this to, to live. That, and, that's such a good point. There's, um, when they're, when they're super little, it's like, oh, come on, they, they don't know how to eat. We can't get them to eat. And then when they're a little bigger, it's like, you've got to come on, finish your food before you yeah. get treats. <laughs> It's always a struggle to get them to eat, even though you have to eat to live. So that must be how God feels about us. It's a great point. I know, but just that willingness, you know, like if he could, he'd want to give us everything. But of course, it it would just be pointless. You know, we'd be choking or spitting it out or something. We are and, picky eaters. Yeah, we can be. <laughs> and this, uh, you know, this whole part of this process that that quote was talking about, that really gets at why we, you know, there's that initiation, there's baptism that sort of starts you on the path. And then, you know, but we only ever, you know, theoretically get baptized once, like that's all it takes. But the Holy Supper is something you do multiple times and you just do as often as it works for you for your whole life, because, uh, you know, we can continue to grow forever and we do need to continue to come, you know, sit down at the table and eat and eat that food uh, from the Lord. So that's sort of what's getting uh, pictured here is, you know, that the Lord is so totally present, is present with Swedenborg says, all his love and all his wisdom, uh, all of divine love and wisdom. And we can continue to make our connection with the Lord deeper and deeper. Yeah, it's just about upgrading our, our bandwidth slowly, like with baptism, we talked about it last week, it's a picture of a process, and the Holy Supper is a picture of the process 
of connecting with the Lord, which at the same time is getting freed from all the hell that we're wrapped up in. Swedenborg describes it like this. When, where the Lord is fully present, his redemption is also fully present. Being redeemed means being liberated from hell, forming a partnership with the Lord, and being saved. Not a bad one, two, three punch there. Yeah, and I, it, just carrying on this, you know, what we need to eat and everything, it's interesting to think about how, uh, you know, we have to, um, when we eat something, our, our tastes can change. Like, uh, it can be, we know something might be healthy for us, but if we're just totally hooked on like only eating super sweet things and really, you know, rich foods or whatever, that dulls our ability to appreciate sort of the subtle flavors and everything of, you know, your everyday vegetable or something. And, uh, you know, sweets and stuff, they can be good too, but that is just a, you know, sort of a picture of how there is that need to, uh, you know, let go of certain things to be able to allow for space to receive more um, of what we could from, from the Lord. And so we have, we're the ones who have the controls on our side, you know, and the Lord can't force us to let go of things that we want to cling to. And, and so taking the Holy Supper at intervals is really also giving us that picture of how it's something we are gradually open, opening up to, you know, like that freedom can't come right away, but that we are increasingly working towards that and, and our, you know, works in progress. And so even if it takes, however long it takes, we can just continually grow more closely connected to the Lord forever. And Swedenborg writes about this in True Christianity 718, the Lord is love itself and wisdom itself, Therefore, we are endowed with an endless capacity for uniting ourselves to the Lord and the Lord to ourselves. Nevertheless, because we are finite, his actual divinity cannot become an integral part of us. It can only make contact with us and affect us. We are not life itself the way the, war the Lord was, even in his humanity. We are vessels for receiving life. Yeah. So many great points there. I just want to bring it back for a second to when you were talking about what what kind of foods we find right. pleasurable, and that's if we're kind of blown out on sweets, it's harder to taste <laughs> subtle things. I for a while I was having really bad acid reflux, and so I had to totally strip my diet down, and I had to eat really bland things, and I suddenly they were felt very flavorable to me once <laughs> that that was all I was eating, and I remember that that when I was really needing health and nutrition, there were some things, like even fruit, that I was kind of grossed out before and buy and wouldn't eat. I, I suddenly didn't care about that. I just thought, oh, there's good nutrients in this. I need to eat it. There was definitely like mm. this period of physical distress totally changed how I related to food. And now I'm going back to my regular self, but for a, for a hot minute there, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, I, I see the, the value of all this uh, nutrition stuff. And it's just like we, we have to eat every day. You got, it's not, I, I did it. I ate. So we have to look at that and let that inform how we look at receiving love and wisdom from the Lord. It's an everyday thing. If you miss breakfast, you're going to be cranky. You've got to be looking to get that, that goodness and truth inside you regularly every day. Yeah. And so bringing it back to like <clears throat> this big picture of the initiation and then renewal, these two core rituals, 
when you understand the spiritual level like this, you can really see how they are these two key gateways in our, in our spiritual lives. And, and uh, you know, it isn't, again, it would be interesting to know if there are like, what are different variations of this renewal ritual? You know, I mean, I think, I think that's what's sort of beautiful about these rituals and, and Holy Supper especially. Maybe it is about the eating and the drinking with intention. Uh, but I think there's all kinds of renewal rituals that you could, that could be meaningful. And, and so that uh, the, what makes up the outer ritual isn't necessarily soup, so essential. I mean, it serves an important uh, you know, part of it, but it's, it, it really gets to be the container that can be powerful when it has this inner, inner intention to it. Yeah. It makes me think of, um, how people just like say a little blessing when, before they eat. Just yeah. Delight. Right. Remember this is a micro version of, of that. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, I was like, I think, um, another way to think about the initiation and renewal or one thing that Swedenborg gives sort of the spin to it is that um, baptism is like, you know, we talked about it being you're coming into a community uh, and Swedenborg might call that the church, but then um, that's the difference between that and like then entering heaven, you know, like you can be a part of the community, but then you really, you really become it. Um, and and that's sort of what's happening as we really continue on this journey with taking Holy Supper. Yeah, he writes about it at length. He says, These two sacraments, baptism and the Holy Supper, function as the two gateways to eternal life. Baptism, which is the first gateway, gives admittance and introduces every Christian into all that the church teaches from the Word about the other life. And see the show we just did, uh, Does Baptism Matter? to learn more about that. All these teachings are means by which we can be prepared for heaven and led toward it. The second gateway is the Holy Supper. Through it, all who have allowed themselves to be prepared and led by the Lord are given admittance to and brought into heaven. These phases can also be compared with first building a house and then living in it. And with our education from childhood to the age at which we, come, we become independent and able to judge things for ourselves and then our rational and spiritual life after that. In each case, the one phase has to come first before we can come into the second, because the second would be impossible if we had not undergone the first. Hmm. These comparisons serve to illustrate that baptism and the Holy Supper are like two gateways that bring us to eternal life. Beyond the first gateway, there is a field we have to cross in order to reach the goal of our second gateway, where stands the prize that we have been aiming for. That's a I little love poetic. that. Uh, yeah. Well, I just love how with Swedenborg it's again, it's so easy to fall into this, like it's prescriptive, you know, like, well, you have to do this and then you do that. But it's really more like a scientific observation where it's like, you wouldn't do the thing later if you hadn't started first, you know, like there's, there has to be this beginning and then the ongoing aspect. So it's just that natural uh, progression that you can really just see everywhere in life. And nobody would argue against the, the examples that he gave. Of course, of course, you've got to build the house and then before you live in the house. Of course, you've yeah. got to develop a mind before you can use the mind. And nobody's upset about that. It seems like a good order. And yeah, the, what, what he's saying about the way the spiritual world works should ultimately, when we understand it fully, have the same feel. Of course. Of course you do one yeah. and that sets, sets you up for the next. 
Yeah, and that it's even, you know, it's empowering where it's like, oh, now it really makes sense. Now I get why I would want to participate in any of these kinds of rituals, or maybe I want to incorporate this into my life more, or something, you know, like you really get, you get why it is the way it is, and then you can use it. Yeah, so if we've started to pique any interest in you about these rituals or renewed your interest in them, let's look now at how we can really make the most of them when we participate. Making the most of the ritual. Yeah, how do we make the most of this ritual? And so one thing to keep in mind that we've sort of touched on before, but just to really give it some emphasis here is that just like with baptism, the outer ritual really doesn't mean anything without that inner spiritual work. Like it just becomes, it's just pieces that are used to support and be a container for that inner intention and process. And then also the inner spiritual work can happen, you know, using any of a whole variety of different outer actions or rituals. And so uh, it's always pointing back to that inner intention and life that is going on that then these rituals are a touch point for it. And so one thing, what Swedenborg is conveying with this, you know, with sort of the Holy Supper ritual, this renewal ritual in particular, is that uh, it has these correspondences at play that really help to ground what is happening in the work that we're doing in our spiritual lives. Yeah, it's a, f a foundation that the whole thing wouldn't work without it. So how do we, how do we do it? How do we become receptive? We've got these different parts of ourselves. I, I think you can, it's pretty easy for everyone out there to relate to, okay, I've got a couple of different facets of my personality that pop in and out, whether or not I want them to. Some parts are more receptive than yeah. others. So what God does is looks for the parts that are receptive and fills yeah. those parts. So you can think of receptive and unreceptive parts of us as hard if it's unreceptive or soft or even spongy sweden we will use that word if it's receptive so we're like a mix of both of these throughout our spiritual journey and at any given time so you don't have to think uh, am i always in the, in the right mood to try to be spiritual am i always receptive just as long as we sometimes are that's fine because this whole thing is a process and we are a work in progress so Every time we're doing this ritual, which does repeat, every time we do it outwardly, we're at a new place of receptivity inwardly. So the ritual can almost be like a signpost or a touchstone to, to mark our journey. Yeah, and so the Lord really is present to all of us, but like I said, we limit how much we receive. And, and so to kind of get into this a little bit more in this next quote, um, Swedenborg describes, he's describing two different kinds of people, but really you can think of it as different parts of yourself or each of us. And so here's what he writes in uh, True Christianity 7:19. The Lord is omnipresent in heaven and in hell and also in the world. Therefore, he is equally present with the evil and the good. With the good, the regenerated though, he is present both generally and personally. The Lord is in them and they are in the Lord. And where the Lord is, there heaven is as well. The Lord's general or external presence allows us to live as human beings and enjoy the capacity to know, to understand, and to speak from our intellect in a rational way. 
the Lord's presence with people who go no further than understanding what is true and good is general and external in nature. So that's sort of just external outward stuff. But his presence with people who go further and actually will and do what is true and good is both general and personal or both internal and external. So you really get the Lord's presence is there everywhere, but then you get to have this inner connection as well if you choose it. Yeah, it's exciting to think about everywhere it can be upgraded. That if we've got parts of us that are receiving, but parts that aren't yet, every, every new little part that opens up, yeah, God's there, but, but he can be there there if we really get that going. So sure, you might have unreceptive places or states or phases in your life, but that's not going to phase God. God's never going to stop trying to reach us. And it will never give up even in the toughest places in us. We'll never just say, okay, well, I can't, I can't get that part of you to open up. It's <laughs> just always on the agenda. This is TC 720. We ourselves close heaven to ourselves while we are in this world by rejecting faith and living an evil life. Who would have thought that that would close you to heaven? <laughs> yes. But even if we do this, we are still constantly kept in a state that leaves open the possibility of repentance and turning our lives around. Hmm. The Lord is always present and exerting pressure on us to accept him. So I love two things about that. One is, people, oh, is it too late for me? No. Yeah. There's no such thing as too late. We're always kept in this state. And I like the idea of not, God's not just sitting there saying, well, I've got this cool thing, but if you don't take me up on it, he's putting the pressure on, like, come on. Yes. Come on, aren't you going to accept today? I, like, I'm not content with you not <laughs> it's accepting. It's the spoon at the mouth of the kid's mouth that's like, come on, open. And the kid's like, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep, it's not forcing, but it sure isn't just, well, I tried. Or, or, yeah, or it right. sure isn't indifference. Yes. So, oh, uh, uh, obviously, you want to be more receptive. How, how do we do that? It comes down to removing what sta- opening the mouth, removing yeah. what stands in the way of this softening of ourselves to, to love and to wisdom. Yeah, so like how this connects to if you are in an actual practice with taking Holy Supper regularly uh, in whatever form that might look like for you, one powerful way to connect the two is to consciously choose to practice some inner self-reflection uh, around the time that you take Holy Supper, or even if you just have an, att- an intention ongoing is to just have that kind of mindfulness and self-awareness. So to really kind of go after it and think and reflect, what are the places in me that are uh, less receptive, that are sort of resistant to this idea? And, and then co- becoming mindful of that, you know, and there's so many different great, you know, mindfulness tools out there. Um, that can help us think about this, but then that can lead us to, okay, how might I live a little bit differently or, you know, have an intention of, I'm not going to react. I'm going to try not to react that way. I'm going to try to be conscious, you know, in this engagement with a little bit more love or something. And then, um, it's grounded in the fact that, you know, then if you do take the Holy Supper with that sort of awareness, that intention, it can feel so relieving and like, really empowering and encouraging to feel like the Lord's with me in this, you know, and I can go do this thing and things are going to change. And I think you'll see that uh, as you practice it. And so that this ritual connected with inner work really becomes a, a powerful experience. That's cool. And makes me think about the, the 
two, the ways in which the two need each other, that if you have the ritual without any, any inner life to yeah. it, any real intention that matches up, it's just a shell. It's just, okay, well, I'm going to go sit in a church or somewhere for an hour and, and just do, do something. It's just, it's dead. But if you have the inner stuff, it can be a little bit disorganized or a little flighty or did, did I commit to something? This, the ritual can give it this structure. And as I hear you describing, a boost, a, a reminder that, or, or feels like a handshake with God. It's an actual event. So in the, in the baptism show that we, we just did, um, we went over the three main functions of baptism, which map with the work of regeneration. So you had the functions of baptism, commitment, acknowledgement, transformation, and then the work of regeneration is turning away from evil, acknowledging God, and doing good. So there's a parallel in these two parallel rituals. Yeah, and I think it really gets at how like we are physical beings and 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 there's something that's real and powerful that happens when we do something physically with our body. Uh, you know, it it affects how, you know, it's just the connection of our mind and body that the two when they really work together amazing things can happen. And so that's, that seems to be really at play uh, in, in these rituals. And so the Holy Supper reflects how, you know, we can be responsive to the Lord's presence in all areas and moments of our lives. And we can just continue to be absorbing more of that truth and goodness, that love and wisdom, and, you know, know how to live it and incorporate it um, into our lives. And so that's just this ever deepening relationship with God. Um, and so similarly with how like baptism paves the way for Holy Supper, then turning away from evils, practicing that kind of self-reflection, um, and, and consciously choosing to turn towards the Lord's love, that, that just becomes this ever expanding, um, you know, practice. You can never run out. You know, there's just always more that you can think about and, and continue and be fed by as, as you continue in, in your life. Ever expanding connection with God. Okay. Sign me up for it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, but before we run out to dry it, let's, let's solidify our thought. Let's put some good order around it. Let's take a second to, to review and make sure we got our ducks in a row. Let's wrap it up. So the Holy Supper is about us and it's about our life. Swedenborg puts it this way, genuine love for our neighbor and genuine faith come solely from the Lord. Both of these qualities are granted to us when we use our free choice to do good things for our neighbor in an earthly way, believe truths in a rational way, and turn to the Lord doing all three because we have been commanded to in the word. Then the Lord plants goodwill and faith in our core and makes them both spiritual. In this way, the Lord unites himself to us and we unite ourselves to the Lord. There's no mm. partnership if it's not reciprocal. There's a real breakdown for you. Okay, mm -hmm. step one, step two, step three. The Lord introduced this ritual initially, Jesus introducing it to his disciples right before the events that became Easter. And this was done to show that God wants to connect to us and, and help us 
connect back to him. Yeah, and so the Lord said, you know, in that, in that original text, or at least in some of the accounts, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's because these outer elements can reflect this deeper truth and be supportive of us on our journey. So he writes, Swedenborg does in True Christianity 727, surely everyone can see that it is not the bread and wine that have this effect, but rather the good we do from love, which is meant by the bread, and the truth we believe, which is meant by the wine, these qualities belong exclusively to the Lord. They emanate from and are distributed by Him alone. There you have it. So the Holy Supper is this acknowledgement, this tangible acknowledgement of how we receive life from the Lord. The ritual is a reflection of that truth and also a reminder. It's a way to get it tangibly in your mind. And it can also be a grounding activity, like an anchor point for this spiritual process that's going on. So let's get out there and, and let's do it. <laughs> we did it. All right. We got to the, we, we've, we've conquered two rituals here. In these yes, last we know shows. everything there fun, is. <laughs> so if any of you at home feel like that was useful, we are non, not for profit. So we've got to have donations to be able to do this. Go to off to leftcom slash donate. And there, there you can make this kind of programming possible and make it so the next person can discover this and, and hopefully get something that does help them along their, their spiritual journey. Next Monday, we'll be uh, on a break week, but then we'll have a brand new episode of Chasing Swedenborg the week after. I hope to see you all there. Thanks, Chelsea, for, for talking this through. It was great getting to, to mull it over with you. Yeah, totally. It's so interesting to think about, and I really hope that these ideas are helpful to people, to all of you watching, and that it just invigorates you or gives you creative thoughts of, you know, how, how to make use of ritual and uh, how that can be meaningful and what that might look like for you. Thanks, everyone. See ya.